Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. I'm just going to be reading from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Over to Grace. Our reading from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have consecrated my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the sun, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All those who take refuge in him are happy. The word of the Lord. Hello, Westminster Chapel. My name is Glenn Scrivener. If we haven't met before, I am Emma's husband. I'm Ruby and JJ's dad. I live in Eastbourne and I work for a ministry called Speak Life. We're an evangelistic ministry that seeks to reach out with the good news of Jesus all over the world by any means possible. You can check us out at speaklife.org.uk. And uh, I really had hoped to uh, have been with you in person this morning. I'm really sorry that that's not going to be the case, but perhaps we, we can do it uh, again in person in the future when Howard told me what you guys have been covering over the last number of weeks uh, it got me very excited he has said to me that you've been doing Ephesians chapter 1 slowly methodically and I thought to myself how very Westminster Chapel brilliant I, I do love that and so as soon as I knew that you'd been doing Ephesians chapter 1 I knew what I wanted to teach to you Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So to me, that that very strongly suggests the image of a champagne fountain. Have you ever been to a party so posh it has a champagne fountain? Um, Me neither. But um, I've seen pictures. Have you seen pictures? And I've been to parties that have had chocolate fondue uh, fountains. That's not quite the same, though, is it? That's, that's, 
<laughs> that is several rungs on the ladder uh, beneath champagne fountains. But we've seen pictures. You know what a champagne fountain is. You've got the, the, the pyramid of glasses that are packed in together and you've got the head glass and you've got the magnum of champagne and you're pouring the champagne into the head glass and then it cascades over the head glass and every other glass that receives a taste of champagne. That champagne was first overflowing the head glass. And before that, it had, it had its source in the, the champagne bottle. And really, what is the Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 1? He is saying there has been eternal champagne, the champagne of the Spirit, flowing from the Father to the Son, from the Father to the Son, from the Father to the Son. What is creation? Oh my goodness. It is the love of God gone public. The love of God spread abroad. And we have been disconnected from that love. And we die of thirst, perishing apart from the love of God. What has Christ done? Christ has come to unite us to himself and therefore unite us back to the source. So that if you trust in Jesus, you are like a glass packed together in that pyramid of glasses. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, it cascades over the head of Christ and it is enjoyed by us who are in him. That's Ephesians 1. I, I love it. And as soon as Howard said that you guys have been doing Ephesians 1, I knew what I wanted to do with you. I want to do Psalms 1 and 2. And you might think, how are Psalms 1 and 2 related to Ephesians chapter 1? Well, did you notice in the reading? Blessed is the man. That's how Psalm 1 begins. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, etc., etc. It starts with this word blessing. And you might have noticed as well that Psalm 2 finishes with the line, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalms 1 and 2 are all about blessing. And blessing is actually a gateway word. Blessing is a checkpoint. Blessing stops you in your tracks and says, halt, are you allowed to come this way? Jesus uses the, the word blessing in that sense in the Sermon on the Mount. You might know in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, the blessings. And he, he pronounces this eightfold blessing. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice? Those who are blessed are those who belong. You're allowed into the kingdom of heaven if you are blessed, if you are invited, if you are specially welcomed by the God of heaven. And he welcomes you by bestowing his blessing on you. If you're blessed, you belong. You can pass through the checkpoint. You've gotten through the gateway and off you go into the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing here in the Psalms. Can anyone waltz into the Psalms and just pick one up and start praying it? Can anyone do that? No. No, they can't. You can't just come into the Psalms, pick one of these songs and start singing it as though it's your own. You need to be blessed in order to belong. The Psalms in this way are a lot like the Royal Opera House. You know, if, if you go to Covent Garden, um, they don't like you joining in, okay, unless you're invited. 
there, there are a select band of people who are allowed onto the stage who can sing in the opera. You're not invited. Okay. If you start to join in, it's frowned upon. Um, that will be your first and last visit to the Royal Opera House. Okay. You can't just join in with those songs. You can't just join in with these songs. This is God's songbook, and it is an incredibly intimate affair. Here we have these heartfelt cries that are addressed to God Most High. The prayer of these psalms has waltzed into the most holy place, in fact, the ultimate most holy place, and is addressing the most raw emotions imaginable to the emperor of the cosmos. Who gets to do that? You don't. I don't. Not by nature. There's only one person who's actually allowed into the Holy of Holies to pray these prayers. There's only one blessed person. Did you notice Psalm 1 verse 1? Blessed is the man. The man, singular. I'm using the ESV uh, translation and I find it so helpful because some other translations, they, they want to be gender neutral here. And I understand why they want to be gender neutral. But so often when they're gender neutral, they then inadvertently pluralize the man, you know. Blessed are they who walk not in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners. Blessed are they, as though there's a whole class of people that are blessed, a whole a whole group of people who are allowed into God's songbook to sing the prayers of God. No, no, it's, it's very particular here in Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is the man. There's only one person. He is the man. And you might notice the footnote. If you've got an ESV translation, you, you'll notice the footnote next to the word the man. And you'll see that the footnote says the singular Hebrew word for man, ish, is used here to portray a representative example of a godly person. Ha'ish, the man, is a king. Um, very often in the Bible, the man is spoken of the ruler. So um, Joseph in uh, Genesis chapter 42, he is the man in Egypt. He is the one who gets things done. He's Pharaoh's right-hand man. And, and this man Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, the king is meant to meditate on the law of God day and night. This, these are words about a king, about the king. Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is someone who meditates on the law of God day and night because Joshua is a king. He's not just any old Bible student. This is not... Reject the way of scoffing and instead um, start a Bible study. This is the whole realm of humanity is a mocking mass, but there is one man who swims against the tide. He is a king. He is the king. And what's he like? Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is very tree of life type language, isn't it? The tree of life, it crops up, <laughs> crops up in um, the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, crops up here in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 1, and it crops up again in Revelation. 
the tree of life. And I love the way the tree of life is likened to this king, this man. There is a person who is the ultimate tree of life, who to consume him is to have life. To be grafted into him is to share in the nourishing sap of his spirit. This is not just contrasting a whole class of wicked people with a whole class of righteous people. This is, this is contrasting the mass of humanity with the one man, Christ. You see, the man of Psalm 1 just is the king of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verse 1, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of, of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, the anointed, the, the Messiah, right? The Christ, it's all the one word. The Psalms are telling us of a father-son bond. That there are cords, there are bonds between father and son that the father and son want to put onto us. We'll see that in a second. But <laughs> the whole world is not just in rebellion against a, an individual on high. The whole world is gathered together against the father-son union in the spirit. And the Old Testament teaches that truth, okay? It is about... God and his Christ, who in verse 6 and 7 is, or in verse 6, he's called the king, in verse 7, and in verse 12, he's called the son of God. The one king from verse, uh, from Psalm 1 is the Christ, the son of God from Psalm 2. Which is why when Howard says, you've been doing Ephesians 1, I thought we've got to do Psalm 1 because we, we, we've got to see, we've got to see that every blessing in Christ is not a New Testament novelty. It is an eternal reality testified to throughout the scriptures. There is this one man who is like a, a tree planted by streams of water. But verse 4 of Psalm 1, the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away, dislocated from our life source, disconnected from our life source. We become desiccated. And doesn't that, doesn't that summarize the human heart and the human experience? Dislocated, disconnected, desiccated. We, in our natural state, are like chaff unless we get grafted into the true tree of life, unless we belong to Jesus. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, because chaff, why would you keep chaff around? Chaff is just the husk around the valuable grain. No, there's no life to chaff. Chaff gets blown away. And in the judgment, there will be this division between the chaff and those who have taken refuge, those who have grafted themselves or been grafted into the Christ, the Son of God. This is a gateway psalm. And it's telling us, are you in or are you out? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Right? The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
It's very serious business. You can't just waltz into the Psalms and expect an audience with God Most High. You need to be invited. You need to be blessed in order to belong. How do you be blessed? Well, you've got to be grafted into the tree of life. Without him, you are chaff, you're blown away. This is not just a gateway to the Psalms. It's a gateway to life. Have you come to Christ? Have you shared in his life-giving, nourishing, spirit-filled sap? Are you a part of Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? That is the only safe place to stand on the day that really matters. In Psalm 2, it tells this same message, but it switches the analogy from botany to the battlefield. We've seen chapter 2, verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Here is the cry of the natural human heart. There are bonds between father and son, and now they dangle down from heaven and they wrap themselves around us. And we are invited into the father-son bond by the spirit. We are invited to belong to this union of love. But what do we say? I don't know. What, what do you say? If suddenly out of the sky, a big rope wrapped itself around you. What would you want to do? You'd say, get it off me. You'd sever it. You'd cut it. You'd, you know, you'd gnaw off your own arm to get out of this bond, right? And yet, Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, God says, I am leading you with cords of human kindness. See, cords. I'm leading you with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. It's this picture in Hosea 11 of, of teaching us to walk. We're just like children. And you know how children, they, they need those sort of reins or, or else they wander off into the sea or wander off into traffic. And you put the reins around them. They're cords of love. They're bonds of compassion to lift you up, to guide you, to direct you, to love you, to draw you in. To draw you into the eternal champagne fountain of God's love. That's what the ropes are for. But we don't feel like, we don't feel like coming home to God. So we say, verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is the natural state of the human heart. We say, no one's going to tell me what to do. Don't you guide me. I'm not a child. I don't need reins. Ah, no, you are. <laughs> And without these reins, you are just a rebellious child and you're running into traffic. Now, is God threatened by all this rage? This tumult, the nations are in uproar. Is, is God upset by this? Is he thrown by this? Is he unsettled by this? Verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. It's interesting, in Psalm 1, it was all the wicked who were laughing, mocking, scoffing, deriding. Now, we see that it's actually God who has the last laugh. He is not threatened 
by disobedience. He's not threatened by rebellion. He's not threatened even by the nations being in tumult. He's not even threatened when all the nations conspire to put his son to death. You know, Acts chapter 4, when it quotes from Psalm 2, it says, yeah, this supremely happened at the cross. Supremely, the peoples gathered together against the Christ, didn't they? You know, the, the Jews handed Jesus over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to be killed. And if ever there was a time for God to be unsettled by the rebellion of earth, surely it's when they kill his son. And yet, no, no, he is not unsettled by this. He is not thrown by this. Instead, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It's fascinating, verse 6 um, the word for set my king is most literally a word for pouring out. The father has poured out his son on that hilltop in Jerusalem. Psalm 2 is, is a psalm of the cross, right? And, and we'll see it's also about the resurrection and it's also about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. We'll see that in a second. But it is about the father pouring out his son on that hilltop in Jerusalem, on Zion his holy hill. He pours him out. And just think of Good Friday. All the mockers, all the scoffers, they dressed him up in a purple robe, didn't they? They put a mock crown on his head. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. They punched him in the face and they said, Prophesy, who hit you? They mocked him. They derided him. They did all the things that scoffers do in Psalm 1. Is God unsettled by this? Is he thwarted by this? No. You see, the enemies of Christ thought it was a mock coronation. God knows this is the true enthronement of the Son of God. The cross really is Christ's throne. That crown, the crown of thorns, they thought it was mockery. But my goodness, what a beautiful crown for Christ to wear. The thorns from Genesis 3 are these symbols of curse and pain. What does, what does God do with the curse and pain of this world? He, he weaves it into a crown and wears it. And on the head of Christ, as he has plunged down into the pit of our own ruin and suffering and curse, he wears it all as his crown. And the cross that's meant to be his execution becomes his throne. I will pour out my king on Zion, my holy hill. You've never seen anything more royal than the cross of Jesus Christ. And you've never seen God more unflappable than when he gave his son, because it means no matter what tumult we go through, no matter how the nations are raging at the moment, you just need to look at the cross. And you see right there at the cross, when the nations were doing their worst, God was bringing about his best. Don't be... Don't be disturbed by the nations that are raging. 
God is working all things together for good for those who love him. By good, I mean by Good Friday. God turns that Friday good. And the same power that turns that Friday good is the power of the Spirit that is at work today, redeeming. Don't be upset by the nations raging. God will work all things together for good because of Good Friday. But then what about Easter Sunday? Verse 7, I will, I will tell of the decree. And now we're switching um, characters. Now it's Christ. It's the Son who is speaking. And he's reporting to us. The Lord said to me, says the Son, the Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today I've begotten you. If you go into Acts 13, Paul actually quotes this as um, uh, speaking of the resurrection. It was supremely at the resurrection that Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says the same thing. The resurrection declares Christ to be Son of God with power. Now, was he Son of God before Easter Sunday? Of course he was Son of God before Easter Sunday. <laughs> he has been Son of God eternally. The champagne of the Spirit has always flowed from the Father to the Son, right back into the depths of eternity. You never get back behind that eternal flow of the Spirit loving the Son from the Father. Okay, that, that is who Christ has always been. He's always been the Son of the Father. But nowhere has he been more supremely vindicated as Son of the Father than on Easter Sunday. When the Father takes the one who has worn our curse as his crown. And in spite of all the naysayers, in spite of all the mockers, in spite of all the scorn, he raises that one up and says, how do you like him now? He really is king. Because he died the death of the cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, right? He declares him to be the son of God with power. So we've got cross in verse 6, we've got resurrection in verse 7, and then we've got the spread of the gospel out to the nations from verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces in pottery, uh, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So the nations that Christ purchased at that cross, he rises up to inherit and out the gospel goes. It's fascinating, isn't it? Verse 6, cross. Verse 7, resurrection. Verse 8, this gospel age in which the gospel goes out to the nations. And then we get to verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. What's, what's the clever thing to do? <laughs> now that God has installed his king on Zion, his holy hill, he's raised him up as the sun, and he's inheriting all the nations. What is the clever thing now that Christ is inescapable? What is the clever thing? Be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And again, it's, it's this either or. We're at, at a gateway. We're at a checkpoint. Are you in or are you out? If you're out, you're chaff in Psalm 1 terms. In Psalm 2 terms, if you're out, that means you're running from Christ. And Psalm 2 says, don't run from Christ, run to him. You think, really, run to him? Should I really? He's there. 
He's a king and he's angry at our rebellion. Should I really run to him? And Psalm 2 verse 12 says, yes, he is a refuge. So you can run to him. What is a refuge? Well, think about it. Think about a refuge, okay? An umbrella is a refuge, okay? The umbrella gets wet so that you don't. Or a bomb shelter. You dig a bomb shelter down in your back garden so that the bomb falls on the shelter and not on you, right? That's what a refuge does. It takes the blast so you're kept safe. And you think, could I possibly run to Christ? After the way I've cast off his bonds, after the way I've wanted disconnection from him, can I really, can I really run to him now? Oh yeah, that's why he was poured out on that cross. That's why, that's why he took the blow on Good Friday. He is, he is the nuclear bunker. And on Good Friday, he, he took the, the nuclear wrath that belongs to you and to me. And he says, come to me. I will keep you safe. I will hide you through that judgment and bring you through into the champagne of God's love. Christ is a refuge. Don't run from him. Run to him. wonder how we should respond to Psalms 1 and 2. Here in Psalms 1 and 2, we get the character list for the rest of the Psalms. These are such a great gateway, such a great introduction to the rest of the Psalms, because we are introduced to the four main characters of the Psalms. There is the Lord, God Most High, the Father. There is the righteous King, the Christ, the Son of God. Then there is the righteous who take refuge in Christ. And there is the wicked who oppose Christ. Those are the four characters, the Lord, the King, the righteous, the wicked, the Father, the Son, the church, you could say, and the world, right? And every psalm is some combination of, of those four characters. So, so sometimes it's, it's the righteous who are complaining about the wicked and saying to God the Father, please hide us in your Son. Or sometimes it's just directly the prayers of the King, the Christ, to God about all the wicked who are surrounding him. The Psalms have so many different combinations of those four main characters. Most commonly, they are the prayers of the righteous king, David, let's say, the righteous king, to his father. And you know how this works in Old Testament terms, don't you? I mean, the Old Testament priests and prophets and um, the Old Testament sacrifices and temple, it's all dress-ups, you know that, don't you? Aaron, the high priest, he dressed up like the Son of God, didn't he? Aaron would dress up and he'd wear a golden head and sort of blue down here. So he'd look like the sun in the sky. And he would take a journey from east to west, just like the light of the world does. From estrangement to God, into God's presence in the most holy place. And he's playing dress-ups. We know that Aaron is not able to get into the holy place. It's all dress-ups, right? It's all drama. It's theater. It's proclaiming to us about what the true Christ is like. Aaron himself is a spiritual moron at times, isn't he? He's, he's the one who presided over the golden calf. We know not to take Aaron himself seriously, but he's playing dress-ups. 
And as we get to see the drama in which Aaron comes through into God's presence, we're meant to think, ah, Christ comes to the Father. In the same way, David is playing dress-ups when he's king, okay? He's not really the man after God's heart, or he kind of is and he isn't. But he is a, a pencil sketch of Christ, the one who has eternally been the man after God's own heart. And so David prays these prayers as, as the righteous king. And we know he's not righteous. You know, he's worse than Aaron. Aaron was just moronic. David was incredibly sinful at points. But he's playing dress-ups. He is the righteous king before the Father. And as we read through these psalms, so many of them are, are the king praying to the Father, the king praying to God about the righteous and the wicked. And as we read these psalms, essentially we're reading these pencil, pencil sketches of Christ's prayers to the Father. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament and he inks them in and he prays them. And he himself goes to that cross and he himself is raised up again to inherit the nations. He, he inks in all the psalms. And now what do we have in the middle of our Bibles? We've got Christ's prayer journal. Isn't that stunning? Wouldn't that be amazing if archaeologists discovered in a cave somewhere Christ's prayer journal? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a, a, a stunning thing? The idea that you could sort of over the shoulder of Jesus see how he prayed to the Father. Well, that's what the Psalms are. Actually, we have Christ's prayer journal and now we get to pray his prayers in his name, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In Christ, we now belong because we're blessed and now we can pray his prayers in his name. The Psalms must be related to Christ. Let me pray. Our Father, thank you that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And I pray that everyone hearing this would say yes to the Lord Jesus, would take refuge in him. They would be blessed and therefore belong. And as we belong, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would take up your prayers in the Psalms and with boldness now pray them. We couldn't before, we were excluded before, but now in you, Lord Jesus, let us take up these Psalms and let, the, let us pray them with boldness, with confidence, with intimacy, knowing that our prayers are wrapped up in your perfect prayer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.